Hi, and welcome to episode 52 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and my guest today is Gina Calabicious. Gina's work is all about connection, connecting with nature and connecting with each other. Her recent show at Flinders Lane Gallery, Bundan on Florida Sky, drew on her connection with the landscape of that place. If you haven't heard about Bundan on, it's the incredible gift that artist Arthur Boyd and his wife Yvonne gave to the Australian people, a property of over 1,000 hectares on the Shoalhaven River in New South Wales, which offers residencies to artists and writers, a great education program and lots more. From her time at Bundanon, Gina has produced a body of work which is astonishing. Her triptych, which is over three and a half metres long, immerses the viewer into the lush landscape from the roots of the trees to the sky above. But Gina also connects still life to the landscape by combining ikebana, the Japanese art of flower arrangement, with native Australian plants, as well as bones and shells, imagery she's been exploring for years. Last year, she won the UTIC Memorial Still Life Award. She's won many other awards, including the Rick and Moore Drawing Prize. She's exhibited in 18 solo shows, and her work is held in the National Gallery of Australia and many other institutions and private collections. All the works we talk about can all be found on the website talkingwithpainters.com. Gina grew up in Melbourne, her parents were Greek migrants, and we start this conversation with her talking about doing work experience at the National Gallery of Victoria when she was 16. And it happened to be when the Golden Summers exhibition was showing at the gallery, which was very popular at the time and showed works by Australian Impressionists at the Heidelberg School, including Arthur Streeton and Tom Roberts. So as a 16-year-old, to have three weeks at the National Gallery of Victoria and just and what seeing did you these do paintings. There? Well, I was supposed to type letters for the curators in the office and so they'd give me all their notes and I had to write letters to people from all over the world that were writing about specific paintings and stuff. And I was so slow and so many mistakes <laughs> that they didn't know what to do with me. So I think one of them actually said, Jenna, you know, you can actually spend a lot of time just looking around the paintings. And I think just to get me out of the room, 16-year-old <laughs> trying to, you know, I, I, was, I was not up to scratch for that type of thing. Yeah. So I, I, I think I was lucky in a way that they, yeah. So I spent a lot of, all my three weeks there just um, oh. looking at paintings. So that was a pretty good. And was that like the first time you had really seen that yes. sort of work? Yeah, yeah right. it was. And I, I, like it was like, a, you know, um, uh, that, that Golden Summers exhibition was just like, uh, you know, a bright light, a shining light that just mm. went, wow, this is it. You know, this mm. is wonderful. My dad was a, um, a shoemaker but a shoe repairist and when he came to Australia he set up a business with an Australian guy, Keith, that brought over sheepskins from New Zealand and they started making moccasins and my dad used to sell them at his shop in Surrey Hills so he had a shoe repair shop and he also had a wonderful vegetable garden that was <laughs> quite beautifully laid out and um, I, I think you know that love of nature was there and um, I used to sit up on the fig tree and look down onto it so that was a beautiful thing to be immersed in nature like that. 
And um, his work ethic was extraordinary because he also had a garage that he turned into his workshop that would he would make the moccasins in. Oh, yeah. So I would hear him day and night, you know, seven days a week, working uh-huh. himself to the ground practically, um, you know, so he'd come back from work. So from Essendon to Surrey Hills, which was, you know, a 45-minute drive, and then come home, have dinner, and then he'd be up all night. And, um, unfortunately, he was a big smoker. And also the glues and, and the fumes from um, being a shoe repairist must have affected his health. So mm. he passed away when I was um, 15, 16. Oh, okay. So that was quite a, a traumatic, but... I didn't think at the time, I just thought, oh, what's going on? You're not supposed to be passing away. You know, you don't think that your parents Mm. pass away at that age. So that was um, was a a shock. That was a shock, I think, Mm. to to all of us. And um, then a couple of years later, I think for mum, that was very sad that she got breast cancer um, just a couple of years after that. Mm. Um, So that's when I was at art school. So... I was pretty much being at art school and painting these big paintings of my family, my mum and dad's wedding, quite large pieces, and putting myself in there. So I hadn't I haven't done portraiture since um, that that time really. I've done bits and pieces, but putting myself in in front of these um, images of their wedding, not wearing anything, but looking very angry. You know, I was uh, quite. Um, emotionally sort of angry I'm not sure that they eventually mum had also passed away from bone cancer when I was 23 Mm. and that also made me you know maybe maybe it was angry I didn't think of it now or even at the time but the paintings really show that intensity of emotion Mm. so ever since then I never really did any more portraits so it was yeah it it was too 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 hard to look at I think Mm. yeah Mm. Now I look back on the work and see the bones and now the shells and everything and that whole idea of um, the fragility of, of life and the fragility of nature, mm. it still resonates through the work. But um, yeah. hopefully sometimes I try and put a lighter yeah. <laughs> light to it. Right. Yeah. So you think that's where that those objects are coming from? It's from I, the, I think so, yeah. 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 I think that um, idea of looking at our bodies, um, not also in a scientific way, and doing my residency at the Harry Brooks Allen Anatomy Museum, uh, Melbourne Uni, really draw in, you know, to look at these bones and just see how the makeup of them and how we are just these elements, these biological elements, and how we can be easily squashed or damaged and, mm. you know, um, and, um, and, and I look at nature like that too, you know, yeah. it, the fragility of it is so, so there when you, you, you're part of it, but um, it has its strengths. I think the Australian landscape has, has a lot of uh, uh, hardiness and tolerance and strength to rejuvenate, so it mm. gives, gives me hope to continue painting these mm, works too. Mm. Yeah. So that residency that you're talking about where mm. you... Uh, where was that? It's the Harry Brooks Allen Anatomy Museum um, at Melbourne Uni. So they've got a, a wonderful collection of not only bones but um, um, body body parts and things like that. Did you draw them? What were you I doing? I did. So I I I, I just asked uh, Dr. Ryan Jeffries. I said, "Oh, do you mind if I come in and?" Um, 
draw these bones. I'm, I'm really interested in pelvises. And um, what I was doing beforehand, I was on eBay buying animal bones. So up here, oh. I've, I've got all a collection of bones. So there's a skull there, there's a skull, an animal skull, and so looks horns, like crab, crab claws. Crab claws. I've got that, 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 I really love the, the shells of the crabs and stuff through there. And yeah. um, there was a, a lot of um, femurs and uh, collarbones and other sort oh. of ribs, cages. Right. And so what things. would you do with those? So I'd draw them. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of drawing of those and then adding it to the ikebana arrangements with mm, with the plants mm. well actually so, let's get on to the ikebana let's mm, let's jump forward yes because you've got a great show on at the moment at flinders lane gallery which just opened a couple of days before the, we're recording this and um it's uh it's called bundan on floor to sky uh but in that show is the painting which you won the utic memorial still life award with last year and it's called passing pulpit rock distant sky in brackets after Nick Cave and Els Torp close brackets now I'll just quickly describe it because it gives an idea about the Ikebana which Ikebana means Japanese floral arrangement that sort of art yes. of that isn't yeah, it that's right yeah. it's from Bundanon isn't it so this was yes. set in Bundanon yeah um, and in fact the whole show is 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 drawing from your residencies at Bundanon yes Bundanon. that's correct yeah and and this particular painting has got a landscape of of pulpit rock which is the land formation there mm -hmm. and that's sort of at the bottom of the painting and then but in, and it's like a sunset, is that right? Um, pretty much a sunset, yeah. Those sunsets where they become blue and pink, those mm. magical colours that really sort of tell you that the, the day's ended. And um, for me, they're love skies. I, I sort yeah. of call the blue and pink skies in Australia love skies. They, yeah. they give you the same feeling. And when you look at them, uh, an emotive feeling of love, you're just feeling that emotion when you, you know, meet someone or love someone. Um, and it was also the time of day, even um, with the, the works in the show, is was early morning mm -hmm. or late at night because they were the only times I would get out, either run or finish off the work in the studio. So in the day... I wouldn't go out because I would be working with the arrangements or the, the foliage that I would bring in from the back of the, the residencies. There, there's a wonderful track that leads you out into the bush. Mm. So in the mornings, I'll go walking or running in there and then collect the, the, the foliage and bring it back into the studio, oh, okay. arrange them. So they become sculptures, sculptural arrangements that I would hang um, in the studio. And then I'll do the drawings and photograph them for the future paintings. And then at night, I would be exhausted and then I have to have another walk to clear my mind. And then the skies would happen and the, ah. that time. So, so you were observing the landscape more at those times of that's day. That's the time. I was very systematic. I had to get the arrangements done in the day. So I wouldn't go out in the, in, in, you know, during the day. Um, mm. I would mm. be in the studio. Um, oh, but, okay. Um, yeah. Well, with that painting... I've only half described it. Yes, <laughs> because if people don't, you haven't seen it. There's the most striking thing about it is that suspended in midair is uh, well, what seems to me like a sort of a very large eroded shell. Is that what that is? Yes. Yeah. 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 And then within it is an arrangement, if you like, a mm. loose arrangement of native 
plants, yep. uh, including flowers and and sort of foliage. Yes. That that shell-like object is like the vessel holding that beautiful arrangement of, mm, of mm. plants. Yes, yeah. And so that that arrangement is something you would have arranged from the things you from the foliage you found at Bundanon. Yes, yeah. It's a long process to get to the painting because it is also about making sculptural you know, Ikebana arrangements then and there. Mm. And because native plants don't last very long um, in terms of putting them in water and stuff, um, I just had to basically use photography um, to shoot a lot of them in mm. different angles and in different yeah. light and everything. Yeah. So I did a lot of arrangements like that, yeah. So how did you get introduced to Ikebana in the first place? Oh, well, it was finding the most fantastic book by Norman Sparman, who's a wonderful Ikebana master, called The Beauty of Australian Wildflowers. And he used Australian native plants using the, 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 the techniques and the design principles of Ikebana. And I was blown away because oh, I thought okay. how he could combine two cultural things and make them look so ah, aesthetically pleasing to the eye. I was just in love with it. Um, yeah. And so, so isn't Ikebana, I don't know much about it actually, but yeah. I always feel it's a very sparse use of plants. Yes, they, they, it, it, the, the more formal earlier um, parts of Ikebana were very, uh, very structured and there was a lot of different types of rules that you had to use, but it was all about man, nature and earth, elements of three um, in combinations. Oh, uh, Norman also did what was called freestyle Ikebana. So my earlier works with Ikebana was I would literally just let them hang you know, and so when um, you say hang, did you? Because uh, I have seen images where you've had very large bunches of yes. of these this foliage and flowers, mm. but hanging upside down from the ceiling. Yes, that's right. Twisting everything around. Um, not only the ikebana arrangements upside down. Then my landscapes were going upside down. I'd like like I would um, reverse the whole landscape of a McCubbins or a street and or even the Von Gerards as well, and just shift, just shift the history around and sort of put them, like acknowledge, put homage to them. Mm. And then I would bring, bring in the still life because I loved also, same with the UTIC, that mm. I can bring the still life and the landscape together, take the still life out of the domestic environment and put it back into the landscape where it, it came from. And... Mm. Um, making them more alive and, mm. and giving them a narrative as well. Mm. So and also having, suspending mm, them in space. Suspending them in space, no water. <laughs> um, you know, um, the vessels are the bones or the pelvic bones, um, yeah, or, or the shells now, uh, they transform in, into that. And mm. now the bark as well, which is from the big um, That's right, yeah, which I yeah. want to talk about later mm. on actually. Um, but with, like, so arranging... Arranging Australian native plants. I mean, you see, you seem to be saying, "Oh, you just let it naturally fall." But obviously, it, there has to be the composition has to work somehow as well. It does, yeah. yeah. So, how do you? Um, is that a difficult thing to get the composition? Even if you if you're going to be taking a photograph, because I presume you need to have a very clear, good photograph to work from. Um, I'm getting better. 
I, I do not like photography at all. Oh, it's really? terrible to say that I have to use it as a tool yeah. to actually capture everything. Um, uh, I struggle a lot with it. I just want to use it. In what way? What do you find um, hard about I, it? I, I, I just find the mechanism of just pressing a button just way too sort of it, it doesn't give me any satisfaction to sort of see anything so when I do actually get the images I have to put them into Photoshop and I have to manipulate them and change them and cut them up to actually create my own digital photographic compositions mm. for paintings mm. um, or well, else it, it, it doesn't give me it doesn't give me the emotional response I want for, for the work. Um, mm. And um, thank God for technology. Oh, my goodness. The days of photocopiers and, and cutting things out and trying to make compositions and collages Collage, that way. Yeah. I thought, oh, finally, you know, I finally found, you know, that technology yeah. can give me so much more. Well, I've seen, mm. like, another painting actually in the show that is really stunning is that Romeo and Juliet after Dire Straits, yes. and we'll have to talk about the music in a sec yes. as well because people are going to hear all these musical references. Yeah. Um, but that also is a very, it's a striking image because you, it's a very similar composition to the Passing Pulpit Rock in that you have suspended in midair foliage surrounding. This time what it looks like, I don't know what it is, but yes. they look like organs of some sort, like lungs or something? Yeah, but they're shells. They're worn little shells that I picked oh. up. So the, from the Shellhaven River from Bundanong, I had to find out where there was, this river went to. So I knew there was a sea close by <laughs> and through Nara and down to the beach. So I drove to the beach to actually find the shells. So that oh. com combination coming through. But those shells are so small and they've been worn out by the waves that when you actually enlarge them, which I have done there, I mean, they're only about two centimetres or three centimetres high, oh. which are just over there in, yeah. in that little box there. Yeah. And But they, they were... Also very sexual as well. Yeah. Well, they're a bit so pinkish as they're well. They're very pinkish, yeah. I've also added uh, a, a filter through it as well to create that pink and blue effect again, that love, mm. those love colours I call. And, um, yeah, so one of them does look very feminine and the other one looks very masculine. And, and when I photographed them at Bundanong, I just had them on a black um a sheet of paper which was mm. great to photograph so if anyone knows how to actually want to work with photoshop just just use particular elements to cut and paste great use a black background okay. photograph it and then it'll be much easier you know using the tools in photoshop to grab mm. so they were quite small and then i enlarged them and then i put them together did you know you would do it, use it like that or is that something you you decide when you're using the images in photoshop um, I first photographed them singularly and then I just realised that some of them were just connecting together when I was placing them through mm. and I thought, oh, these are couples, these mm. are two people. <laughs> well, you, yeah. yeah, a lot of your work is anthropomorphic it in that is, way. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it is, yeah. Um, it talks a lot about relationships. It talks about the relationship I have with, with nature. It's a bit like a, a love relationships so mm. what I put into relationships in, with people um, I try and in, impose in the paintings that I'm also fallen in love with the landscape in the same way mm. so that Romeo and Juliet is very much about love yeah. to the point where they're together and the kookaburras 
Well, the kookaburras. Are, oh, we should just probably explain what yeah. that is. That's, so there's those two shells. It's surrounded by foliage, so it's it's like in an oval shape. Yes. And then there are two kookaburras that sit within that shape, and they've been wrapped up in the foliage as well. So they they've been restricted from being together, a bit like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. But the shells act as their souls, so they're white and fresh, and they're up in the troposphere. Um, the troposphere yes, is um, when you actually go on a plane and you just go, um, you're actually taking off and you're going through the clouds. The troposphere is where all the weather happens, where you see the sun onto the, on the, the clouds. On the top of the, the clouds. clouds. I was going to mention yeah. that because the clouds in the background are abs. I really noticed those. Yes, they yeah. are absolutely divine because. You, you have got that, it's like you're in an aeroplane looking down yes, on the top right. of that. Yeah. But interestingly, you've got that at the background and then in a different perspective. Perspective, got an, I have the landscape. You've got the landscape at the bottom, bottom with yeah. another set of clouds. Another that, set of clouds, yeah. yeah. It layers the landscape and to the sky, so the whole thing of Bundanong floor to sky and we'll go to the triptych because it starts off with the ground and the floor view of, of Bundanong looking right down. So I would mm. photograph on my tummy <laughs> looking down at the, 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 the foliage and, the, and all well, the remnants I'll, I'll of that. I'll just introduce that mm. work because it, it's your major work in that exhibition. Yeah. It's a very, it's a large triptych mm -hmm. and it's called Bundanong Floor to Sky. Um, you no, are part a, of me now. <laughs> yes. It's a long title. Yes. Bundalong Florida Sky, you, you are always part of me mm. now after Van Morrison. Mm. Yes. So as I say, it's a large triptych. It's over three and a half metres long mm -hmm. and over two metres high. And it is an absolutely uh, glorious depiction of, would you call that a rainforest landscape almost? Um, it does look rainforest, but it's... Um in in Bundanong, I, I don't think it is actually a forest, but it has a lot it has of microclimates, a lot of microclimates yeah. in it, and um, yeah. lots of varieties. Um, the species of eucalypts is quite 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 a, quite a lot, and um, the, the the bushland as well is quite diverse, mm. but very green. Yeah, yes, very, very green. Yeah. So in this painting, we have it's almost divided in half in a, in a way, mm -hmm. in that the bottom half is. I'll let you describe it in a second, yes. but it's sort of like the ground and the and the floor of the of the well, yes. one of a better word, word. forest. Yeah. Um, and then the top half, so it's very dense foliage mm. and everything, and then with some bark. And then the top half is like we're looking through these trunks of trees into a misty, bluish background. Yeah. So it's a it's a very dreamlike. Um, peaceful and calm mm. sort of scene. Yes. So yep. can you tell me a bit about how that painting developed and how it came yeah. about? So um, if anyone goes to Bundanong, which I highly recommend, oh, and yeah, they've got amazing. the wonderful site works um, thing happening on the 29th of September and people, um, the, it's open to the public that people can camp there. Oh, and they've really? got these amazing activities um, throughout the whole time that you're there. And they do it every year. And it is just fantastic because you're you're camping amongst the the, the wombats and the kangaroos oh, yeah. on on the farm, mm. um, but when you walk, you actually drive into Bundanong. On the left hand side is the bush, that forest, 
and I would in the morning at 6, 5.36, would run down there. And that was that misty morning. Mm. So being the four seasons, for me, they melted together. You didn't know if it was winter or spring or autumn or, ah. or summer. It was the same imagery, but in a way that it was more, um, it was time passing as I was running. You know, it was, I don't know, it was hard to describe, but there were just elements that I just kept on seeing. Mm. And you could actually see the earth because you're higher up. So you could actually see the the earth, the 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 part, the where the roots, part, the, like the where roots, the roots are. are, yeah, oh. and you had to climb up onto it to actually start walking onto oh. the bush, oh, wow. and that's where by the third residency I worked out what I wanted to do, and it was a narrative. I go, I have to explore this whole place from floor to sky, and <laughs> that's what the whole series will be about, and it's like. Every element, you know, I just couldn't get enough of the, the, the place that I thought I have to describe the whole space of landscape there. You know, mm. it was, and I can see why Arthur was so um, mm. you know, entrenched. Arthur Boyd, Arthur Arthur Boyd. Boyd yeah. was so entrenched by it. He mm. did a lot of mythology in there mm. and stuff. And it is um, magical in that way. Mm. Um, so did you feel like you didn't? You, you didn't want to leave out anything. Yeah, you put everything in, literally, <laughs> every detail. Because that is a real challenge, I would have thought, yeah. to get a dense Australian landscape like that, which mm. is bracken, ferns, yeah. uh, bark Barrow lying yeah. around, yeah. very dense eucalypts and all that sort of thing. How did you deal with that challenge of, of that density of it? I mean... Um, when I put the, that piece together, it's 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 a combination of twenty images, so twenty photos. Mm. Um, you'll see actually in that triptych that there's repetition of the same tree, um, uh, trees sort of in different sort of scales as well. And then the the bark is only a small little piece of bark which I enlarged, and also the wattle wasn't there. It was separate wattle that I had collected. So this is a deconstructed ikebana arrangement just lying on the floor, mm. which is also connected to a body. And I'll talk about Anya McKee, who was this wonderful contemporary dancer that was on residence at the, at the time. And I wanted to put that element of the human in there. Um, mm. And I, I got her to photograph. I photographed her on the Bundanong floor with these beautiful sort of mm. um, movements that she just naturally created. And her hands were like fans of, of, of what would you call them, part of the plants, you know, that, oh, that yeah. she, like she mimicked. Yeah, like the fronds, yeah. yeah. And she mimicked that in her body uh, movements. And she did, really she, related did you to direct it. her or did she just do that no, herself? No, she was just naturally just doing it herself. Mm. I, I gave her a bit of an idea that I wanted her to be on the floor as part of nature. We discussed that, that beauty of the body and nature, how mm. it combined and, mm. and how close we are related in, in that biological way. Mm. And so she, was she was lying on She like, was lying uh, along, along, along the there. Ground, yeah. And I sort of uh, tried to put her physically, digitally into the landscape many a times when I started that actual uh, piece. And I just didn't feel it was right. And I, I'm not one to just take a photo of a landscape and then paint it or sit there and play and paint it. I just find it's not enough. I just I thought it just needs to 
evolve more things, more detail, and mm. encompass more more things with it. So you, so that montage, uh, montage process is very important in your work. Yeah, yeah, very much because it's it's constructed and constructed to the point where if I don't get that feeling, and the audience or the people will get that feeling of an or a feeling deep in your soul to connect with it and say. Oh, I'm really, you know, even if it's mm. just a, 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 a gasp of air, you know, it makes you feel breathless or mm. something. If I don't get that in the image, I mm. won't continue to go on to do a major painting with it. Mm. And that, that lands. Yeah, well, I, I think that's <clears throat> often with art is that a lot of teachers say you've got to exaggerate to, to make impact in art. Yes, yeah. And that is a form of exaggeration, it is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. The exaggeration um, sort of brings on the element of, of bringing your emotions into it. And art and emotions for me is so important um, that it actually um, makes people feel, you know, those feelings and, mm. and, and have a love relationship with, with the landscape, mm. yeah. And with, so how did you resolve that? idea of having the, the figure in the landscape in the end? So at the end I used the bark as her skin. I used the wattle as her internal organs. Um, so she's on the floor within the landscape, deep in, 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 in the earth still. And the rest of the work in the show is slowly where the bark turns into the shells and they start to rise. Okay. And that rising slowly rises all the way into the troposphere. So it oh, has that. So each element. painting is each connected, connected to, the next one. to the next one. So oh, this show is very small at the moment because of the size of the gallery, but it's just snippets of the narrative that, um, you know, there's a lot of paintings in between that I haven't got to paint yet. That mm. is all part of that. Mm. Mm. And that, and I think also the scale of that work because it is so large. Yes. That the viewer can really get lost in it. Yes, that you know? was the whole thing. I felt like I was lost in it every yeah. morning. Yeah. Did, did you? Yeah, it, it was part of me now. That's where the song titles come in. Oh, okay. Yeah. So with the song titles, mm. did they? How did they develop? I mean, do you do you choose the song after you've started the work? Uh, no, I, I I had a lot when I was driving to Bundanong. Um, Van Morrison's great on the road, on, oh, the, yeah. on the way there. Right. Um, um, Michael Kinawaka, I think his name is a wonderful um, English singer. Also, I got introduced to at that time. Um, again, a lot a lot of love music. I would say musicians do love songs much better than. <laughs> artists do and I thought oh wow if I can incorporate their you know and the lyrics yeah. and you it's know interesting, being in the studio yeah. um we have um either podcasts like yours Maria that we just love listening to or the radio we listen to um you know the news or, or, or other sort of music on their um talk back and stuff and then there's our playlist of music and mm. um when I when I paint them, yeah, the songs somehow come together, and I go that that one like Distant Sky, that Nick Cave mm. one, was all about loss. I mean, Nick Cave mm. had lost his son, yeah, very tragically, and the opera, which I've always been very much into with Elstorp, was just a such a moving song that when I 
play it and look at that painting, it just makes me travel with it. So I, that, that incorporation of the senses of sound as well ah. and, paint and seeing vision has really taken on another element to the work. Mm. So everything's so layered in my mm. work. It's not just one image. It's layered images. It's constructed a cabana that gets placed into it. It's the changing of the colours and in that is also the music that you can listen mm. to at the same time. So to actually promote even more emotion um, to create that. Yeah, mm. that's right. Um, and that's similar to when you are, you know, you're referencing in, in, that, in your show Heartland from a few years ago. Yes. You reference those artists, McCubbin and Tom Roberts and, yes. and you use their the images of their work mm -hmm. into your own work. Yes, yeah. Um, although you couldn't really sort of tell, like, for example, that that painting Lost by McCubbin. I mean, that, yes, that, yeah. that is a very, I, I remember that painting from when I was a kid. It makes such an impact. I think because it's a kid in the, in the painting, painting that is lost in yes, the bush. Yes, yes. Um, but when you, used, when you were referencing those paintings, you didn't actually, it, it's not as if you were copying those paintings in the background. No, no it was yes. more like, oh, I, I have a history behind me, you know, mm. uh, an Australian painting history of these amazing painters that came and they were also um, captivated by the landscape. And I thought, how can I paint the landscape without giving them a little bit of a nod and say, mm. God, you were great, you influenced me and and and, and many artists, Australian artists. And... Um, how can I not put you in? But you're in the background. I put you there, and you're silently there as my history. And then in the in the forefront, I've actually said, well, we're celebrating the foliage, which is part of that landscape, and we're bringing the still life out into the back foreground. back into the foreground as as an importance and as an equality that the still life and a landscape are of equal sort of genres of art, you know, mm. and I think um, I really enjoy that. Can we talk a bit about your process? Because it's just such a fascinating thing that you do. And obviously it must start, uh, most works must start in the photography and digital manipulation. Can you tell me a bit about how like what, what you need to do. I mean, we were just talking, we were looking at your computer and you yeah. took 4,000, I think you said, <laughs> photos at Bundanong. <laughs> so can you tell me a bit about how that how it works? Um, so like I said before, I'm, I'm not a big fan of photography, but it is a tool that has given me so much um, for my end result. Mm. So it is something that... Uh, because of the, the beautiful accessibility of so many images that we can actually now take... It gives you more freedom to be able to take many more photos, which becomes a bit obsessive, but enough to be able to um, bring into Photoshop. So I, I yeah. think Photoshop is so when you're an taking amazing, sorry mm, yeah go on. So when you're taking the photos, yes, what are you looking for? Ah, oh, so because I've got the narrative, I've already sort of worked it out. I'm 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 looking for um, the right light as I see the image coming through. I'm looking at the the scale, where I'm actually focusing. So like I said, uh, the, the, the the floor of Bandanong, mm. I was, you know, literally on my tummy, right down with the camera and, and, and just seeing what the viewpoint of 
the insects were looking at or what the, you know, their lives down there and, you know, and, and then looking up to the sky and how the scale of the, of the landscape changes because of that and then in increments of that. Also, there's some beautiful spots in the landscape where you can see pockets of darkness and then light. Say, mm. for instance, like... Um, a bushy area where there's a bit of a hole and it's deep and dark and then there's light sort of shining around over the top of it or mm. the way the plants sort of cascade down. In a way, they they are sort of Ikebana arrangements in themselves. So it's just having my eye, something captures it and I sort of think, well, that's what I enjoy looking at and I think that would work really well as a background mm. um, that I can work with. It sort of also relates back to Renaissance painting and, you know, that sort of thing of, um, I know I'm thinking of Bellini's The Tempest or something, you know, there's always some drama, Mm. you know, and I think maybe that is where I'm always looking at. So you want light and shade. Light and shade, deep darkness with a a, a glowing light, something that actually um, moves you, you know, it moves Mm. you in the landscape when you're walking or when you're going out in nature. You look at it in a vistas of, of awness, you know, of large, spectacular sort of panoramas, or you're looking at the most intricate things on the ground that that also capture something as well. So, mm-hmm. well, oh, I can see so with that. Much. Well, with that large work that we were talking about before, it's. I can see that there's no way you could have created that in a photograph. No, in, no. in one photograph, and also the ferns and um, that are actually cascading off that triptych is also separate ferns that I brought into the studio. So those elements are not in the landscape. I've actually placed them in with Photoshop. Mm. So it's constructed to the point where I want it to look naturally, sort of falling and cascading down along that floor but also um, mm. make it look unified mm. and as one composition to, to, to so you can travel your eyes can travel through it like a story yeah, in a way. yeah. and do you found did you find that photoshop is something that takes a lot of uh, skill like I mean did you have to learn a lot about it to use it? I did I, I, after art school um, I had a couple of years off where I uh, did a small courses here and there and then I went back to TAFE and asked John if I could learn about this new technology that was just coming out so this was really early stages of computers and digital work and the course was very new the interactive multimedia course so um, I said to John just put me into you know uh, so I want to learn Photoshop and he put me into the whole course so not only did I learn Photoshop and Illustrator but 3D Studio Max video the whole gamut and um, I was um, uh, overwhelmed by it. So I was doing it part-time. I was pregnant with Amon, so I had a big belly <laughs> with this computer. And I was in classrooms with these young, you know, uh, boys that were right into gaming and oh, all that sort right. of thing. And the wonderful thing is there was another artist there with me, which was the beautiful Irene Hannenberg, who also had um, just had some shows at Neon Park and Sarah Scout. And we both were there and we were 
we would cry every Saturday <laughs> afternoon on the way home because it was so difficult for us to learn these programs. Oh, I mean, right. yeah. I, it, was it more complicated? Was the program more complicated back then? It wasn't complicated. It was just really understanding how to navigate around a, a computer program. Mm, you know, mm. we were brimming with ideas. Irene and I, we were just were like, oh, we could do this and this, but we just had to learn where all the pallets were, where, how we can use the tools, how can we can actually grab these and put it into our art practice. Mm, mm. And it took a little while mm. to do that. Yeah. So with Photoshop, can you, if you wanted to say, change the lighting or change the, where the highlights are and all that sort of thing, can you do that manually? Yes, so you can do it manually. You can do it to the overall image, but you can also hone in to sections where you just want the light to come through, but you black out through layer masks everything else. So you have complete control of every single pixel. And it's. I, I think once you master it, it becomes like riding a bike. You just, you know, you mm. just do it naturally. And now I just look back and I go, oh, my goodness, now I know how to work it without um, struggling so much. The next step is, of course, yes. the painting. Mm. So how do you go about yes, um, yeah, okay. doing that? So um, I used to actually print the images out um, even at Officeworks, they have a fantastic printing things where you can do it in large scale. And it doesn't cost that much. If you do it in black and white, what you do need is pretty much like a ghost image. So in the old days, you used to use the grid system. And mm. I used it for a while and sometimes I'd just do it freehand. So I'm quite prolific in my drawing and I've got the skills, technical mm. skills to, to do it. Mm. But the time yes. aspect is another thing. And I thought, we've got this technology, why don't we use it? And uh, I know many artists that use the same thing. And it's wonderful because you can scale up so big. So mm. I used to actually use a print and put it on the canvas with charcoal. And so the old process of just tracing over the main lines just to get the proportions mm. and everything. So in up. other words, the charcoal, you'd rub charcoal on the back, back of, of the, the paper yeah, and then yeah. just use a pencil. Yep. Um, I had a lot of problems with that because the first wash would completely <laughs> wipe it out. <laughs> and right. Oh, my goodness, where do I start now? So it, it also is you have to have, um, through practice of drawing and, and all the rest, you have to actually um, uh, keep drawing it through mm. back again as well. Mm. So I used the print for, for many years and then I thought, well, my eyesight's failing because of the detailed work that I do. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to keep this up very, for very long. And I noticed that the computer screen is wonderful because you can zoom into the detail mm. much more than the, the print. So now I've actually, uh, because of the UTIC um, Still Life Award and having that financial support, I was able to buy a projector. Yeah, right. So I projected. Okay, so because I've images, tried yeah. that yeah. and I found the problem with doing I must have got a really shonky projector because <laughs> <laughs> the, the line wouldn't be, was, was, wasn't clear enough. Yeah. So do you have to get a good projector? Well, no, I think it was, um, I'm not sure actually. <laughs> it was just Does a the room have to be dark? Oh, semi-dark, yeah. Right. I did do it at night, yeah. Right. And I put it in the living room and from one end and, you know, try to get it as perfectly in the size. I also do size up my images to the same size on the computer. There's another element in Photoshop that you can actually resize the images to 
to, to get them in the exact dimensions. So um, oh. highly recommend any artist to do a little Photoshop course yeah. if they want to yeah, sort of yeah, do yeah. this sort of thing. It it's, sounds great. It, it is really wonderful yeah. to help you. Oh, okay. So you and so you project and then use charcoal. Um, so just using pencil. Pencil. Yeah, just pencil um, uh, through it. So as you can see with that one there, that um, oh, yes. people can't see. I can't see yeah. it. Actually, it's so light. <laughs> it's just it, it, it's light enough to give me an idea that that's mm. the arrangement's mm. going to be in the middle, but. Um, you know, funny enough, once you start, it's like a puzzle. You start either on one end or overall. Um, you piece it all together by 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 looking all the time. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Because I think it's funny. I because some people do sort of think, oh, you can't project or you can't grid up or anything, and you got to do it freehand. But the point is that it just takes longer. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's. I mean, of course, you can do it freehand, yes, yeah. and also yeah. it's not as if. You've done the whole detail. You've just done the outline. It's just the outline yeah. just to sort of uh, place it there. And for me, that's not the importance of no, the artwork. No. For me is um, so I can do it freestyle really quickly too if I wanted. But what is that Photoshop has given me the image that I want and it's go I know it's going to transfer to the painting and the importance is at the end is what everyone sees and what gets what they get out of it in an emotional and in a theoretical way and, and, and that's what's really important. Whichever way you need to use to get your final result, to get mm. that, that, for me, that emotion that I want the audiences to be connected mm, with, to mm. make it their own. So now I'm assuming that glazing is an important part of your work? Yes, towards the end, yeah. It, oh, it okay. sort of works um, there. Wet on wet is wonderful. Um, I work quite quickly. So the, the triptych that I did was uh, three months in the making, but that's seven days a week, you know, 10-hour, nine-hour oh, days. Wow. But it was, it, you know, there was a lot of layering and detail mm. in, in that, and that was just wet on wet as much as I could. At the end, I come back with the glazing, you know, if I want to shift things around. Mm. So you don't start off with like an underpainting, a monochrome underpainting? No, no. So you I go straight in with the colour? Straight in with the colour. Right. Yeah. And then I can shift the colour once it dries. Um, say, for instance, the, the, the shells need a little bit more of a, a warmth or a, a pinker tinge. I'll use a transparent colour, say, for instance, like the rose, the Art Spectrum rose door or something like oh, that, which yeah. is very light. And how do you how do you learn about which is this just trial and error? How do you learn about which paints are transparent and which are going to give you a certain effect? Is it just through trying them? Trying them, and also um, Art Spectrum have a wonderful little system at the back where they give you these symbols. Where it's you know if it's a transparent one, they've got the triangles or the squares. Um, so the you know the more um, uh, like the cadmiums uh, have got the little black sort of um, square so you get an idea of what you can do with it but also I do um, you you can use medium to actually make mm. them as much More transparent as well yeah. so yeah. yeah and it is of course trial and error. So with your glazing what medium would you use? My main one is the liquid um, that Art Spectrum have because oh, it's okay. fast drying. Mm. But if I wanted a little bit more slower drying, I actually make up my own medium, which oh, is the Damar varnish, a little bit of Damar varnish, but linseed oil um, mm. and terps will be the, the, the variation 
of, mm. you know, medium one, two or three. So. And do you find you need to have a lot of ventilation in your studio? We're sitting in your studio now, which is beautiful space. Mm, do, yes. What do you do with that? Because I find that I, I get so headachey and everything with those sort of things. Yeah. Um, do yeah. you make we, sure you've got the door open and that sort I of do. thing? Um, I do. I did struggle this this time round because it was so cold towards the end that I had the heaters on and I didn't have the windows open as much. And I think by the end of the day, being so many long hours, I did find my chest was hurting a little bit and I thought, mm, this is not quite right, you know. Mm, yeah. Um, even so, though we used low solvent um uh, odorless um, yeah. solvents and stuff, I still feel that it's a hidden thing that's, that's in the right. air. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So I'm, it's just I'm something a, you've got to be aware of, I suppose, yeah. isn't it? And, and also just invest in, in, in getting better ventilation in here, I think, is my next thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And what about your brushes? So we've got mm. hundreds of brushes yeah, in front of me. They look yeah. fantastic. Do you find you're using small brushes throughout pretty much? Oh, yeah, I know. That big triptych is all the most <laughs> littlest brushes. I can't believe I'm going, oh, this, you are so sh crazy, Gina. Oh, what are you gosh, doing? Like, I try not to think on how mental that can be with the, the smallest brushes. <laughs> but, well, um, you were saying by the end of that you're exhausted. Yeah, yeah. So I you was, did you feel, yeah. was it a bit of a struggle to finish or? No. I think at the end it was just the, the, the pure stamina of continuing and, and keep on going until I, I could find a, a, an ending. Um, my physical exercise, which I was telling you before, Maria, was a major component in, in that. Without doing immense exercise, running or riding or uh, do a lot of weights, oh, yeah. sort of gym classes with a lot of weights and stuff, uh, gave me the mental capacity to mm. continue because I think exercise can be painful and, and it can really be, you know, get you at a place where you think, oh, I can't do it, you know, I can't lift another 40 kilos or something <laughs> like that or I can't run an extra kilometre. And then when you just stop thinking sometimes, mm. just stop thinking, no procrastinating, just mm. stop procrastinating. I did that for many years. Um uh, many years of em emotions or de being depressed or anxiety, you know, and I thought if I just stop procrastinating and stop thinking and just say I'll just do a little bit more, mm. um, it, it got me through. And that's how the painting, I got through the painting, the same sort of mechanism in my head. Okay. So you um, haven't always exercised like that? No, I was a very heavy smoker right up until I was 25, 26. Oh, really? I had to stop because my father passed away from smoking and, you know, mum with bone cancer and all that. And I thought, oh, look, if I can get past their ages, you know, they were 40, 49 and 52, oh. I thought I can, you know, I can live a longer life to mm. keep working. So, mm -hmm. um, no, I, I was... Um, you know, quite overweight after having children, as you know, it mm. sort of, you know, changes your whole lifestyle and, uh, you know, and your whole sleeping habits as well. So a couple of years ago, um, it was wonderful. It was a, a, um, a wonderful man called Luke Easterman from Bondi. Oh, uh, he was yeah. a personal trainer that had this wonderful article in The Age. Um, no, I should be talking about physical stuff in here, but I think it goes hand in hand oh, with that. Oh, definitely, yeah. And he, he wrote this wonderful um, 
Oh, well, I don't know if he wrote it, but he was interviewed and he said that fitness should be for free, like art should be for free. <laughs> it should be for everyone and everyone should be able to have it in their lives where you don't have to go to these weight programs and things like that. And he just did it more out of the goodness of his heart and I thought, this is great. So he put on this online free program for eight weeks and anyone could join. Mm. And he had this sort of videos of these sort of really hard-working, you know, workouts and stuff. Mm. And I thought, I'll give that a try. And um, I did. I lost 13 kilos. Wow. Doing wow. that over a period of three months. And, and so it was really reading that article that just It was gave reading you the that article and incentive. I thought, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to just um, eat really cleanly and... And, and then the, even the work sort of took on that sort of regimented sort of thing of pushing myself to, ah. to paint, um, extend myself more, be more confident, more confident at Bundanong to walk for three hours by myself. All that came through that physical exercise and that physical exercise mentally made me more emotionally happier and braver and mm. courageous in all aspects of my life. Mm. And, I, I, and you know, it, it made me feel like I was glowing. Yeah, it yeah. was really, really great. Yeah. Sorry, we don't have to put that bit no, in. No, <laughs> I am definitely putting that in because <laughs> people know, are going people because, to want to hear that. that is, know, that's making I, me want to go and do more exercise. Um, and do you have any conditions in the studio you need to, to actually get in? you know, the zone of yes. painting. sweep the floor. Oh, <laughs> sweep really? Away the no- the, yeah. yeah, so I, I come in and I, I look at the floor and I sweep it um, first. Yeah, that's my first thing I do. Yeah. And, and, you know, there were there were shows earlier a couple of years ago where I would get up at four and, you know, the mornings were a great time for me to, to start early. So that, that was a really good uh, regimented sort of pattern that I went through oh, for okay. one show. Um, this show I went a little bit later. I went into the night because I was going into winter. So it was different. Mm. Seasons give you different aspects of there. Yeah, a sense of order mm. for me in a small space like this because it becomes chaotic, then the anxiety sets in mm. about um, I'm not having control of where, where the work needs to go. Yeah. Well, Gina, thank you so much for your time today and for um, showing me your wonderful studio. And good luck with your show at Flinders Lane Gallery. It's amazing. Thank you very much, Maria, for coming all the way to Melbourne. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gina Calabishas as much as I did. I'll be getting a short video of Gina in her studio on the Talking With Painters YouTube channel and Facebook page soon, and I'll let you know on social media when that's online. Thanks for your messages and comments on social media, and a review and rating on iTunes would be awesome if you had the time. Hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking With Painters. So you yeah. think it's colour is dependent on mood as well? Yeah, and, and, and also the journey of my life and, and where it's going to go. I think it might sort of shift and change all the time. I, I don't think I'll be doing the same stuff or similar stuff, but I think it's going to keep evolving, like mm. the bones evolved into shells and the shells, you know, you know, might go into something else. Yeah.